Hello, this is Chris, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the May 16th through 18th issues of the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Let's start with some news. Avon BOE candidates' posts spur worries. Margaret Lee, Avon. Avon community members are voicing concern about alleged social media posts from Avon Board of Education candidate Tim Dolgos, an Avon resident and longtime teacher at Geneseo Central School, allegedly made highly negative statements against LGBTQ plus individuals online. Livingston County News on May 8th received a series of screenshots of Facebook posts reportedly made by Dolgos and then deleted. The name and profile of the posts match Dolgos's account on the site. The posts allege an LGBTQ and transgender agenda of grooming children for sexual abuse and normalizing pedophilia. Like I said, if any individual teacher decided to read one of these books in the classroom to their kids, they'd be fired, one post reads. This is all being done under the umbrella of LGBTQ so that people on the left will all blindly stand in support of keeping these books in our school libraries. Because these people don't know and won't look at what's actually in the books, the lefties just think they're supporting LGBTQ, not realizing what they're actually supporting is grooming. They're claiming to fight against conservatives who say they are trying to ban these books. Conservatives don't want them banned. We want them removed from our children's school libraries. If sickos want to buy this filth, that's up to them. This is about LGBTQ using their brand to get people to unwittingly defend exposing our kids to pornography and grooming, period. The second post reads, This has always been part of the long game. It was part of the end game for the transgender movement and gender fluidity. I've been saying this for years. One of the ultimate goals of the real LGBTQ agenda is to normalize pedophilia. Not only is there nothing normal about pedophilia, there is nothing human about it. Anyone who would ever even consider thinking about anything related to pedophilia is a sick human being with a soul, period. End of story. Dolgos did not respond to the LCN's request for comment. Community member Heather Baker, one of several individuals that contacted the newspaper, said that she was concerned that the talk in which Dolgos was partaking incites violence and can lead to the increased suicide rates of LGBTQ plus youth. Baker was born and raised in Avon, and although she doesn't have any children attending Avon, her whole family went through the Avon School District. Baker said she knows the importance of schools as a safe space for all students. As a therapist, I work with many people in the LGBTQ community, she said. I have personal relationships with many, and it was very offensive to me and terrifying that our kids should be hearing these things in school, so I just felt as though I needed to say something. In her original letter to the LCN, Baker said, School can be hard enough for kids who are not members of the LGBTQ community. I am not a member of this community, and high school was not an easy experience for me. Luckily, I had teachers I could turn to when the day was getting difficult for me. I am not exaggerating when I say that some of these teachers saved my life. I don't know what would have happened to me if I also had the added fear of hiding who I was when looking for support. Other community members reached out to the LCN, voicing their concerns. One person raised the question of whether such a man should be elected to Avon School Board. The person said that it would be a monumental step back for equality and human rights. When the LCN reached out to the Avon Board of Education for comment, Superintendent Ray Picotte released a statement saying, The Avon Central School District is aware of statements made previously by a current candidate for the Board of These statements may represent the views and positions of the particular individual. The district has been and will remain committed to complying with non-discrimination laws. We value each 
individual and our commitment to creating a safe and welcoming environment to all. Specific criteria to be a candidate for boards of education are set forth by New York State education law. So long as prospective candidates meet the criteria, it is up to eligible voters to select representatives for its board of education. Individual school districts do not have the authority to remove prospective candidates. Baker said schools should be a place where kids feel safe to learn about and express themselves. Teachers should be people they look up to, not people they fear, Baker said. Our kids deserve better than this. On May 16th, let us all appeal to our humanity and make the decision that protects all of our children. Baker said that it's important to be aware of how harmful speech like this can be because the LGBTQ plus population is already in danger of not only having their rights taken away, but experiencing violence incited by negative comments. I just think it's really important because any paperwork that's been distributed by him doesn't say any of this on there, any of those beliefs on there, right? She said, so I really think it's important that people are aware of what they would be potentially voting for and the danger to the kids. Dolgos has been teaching for 18 years, spending the last 10 of those years at Geneseo Central School. He is a chemistry teacher who has also previously taught biology, physics, earth science, life science, and English. He lives in East Avon with his wife and has seven children. Dolgos said in his candidate biography that he's running because he feels it's important Avon Central Schools has leadership that is qualified, experienced, and diversified in order to ensure that the quality and the morality of our educational systems are upheld. The LCN received a report May 11th of a Geneseo school teacher being suspended with the teacher unidentified. The LCN reached out to the Geneseo Central School District for comment regarding the reported suspension and any possible connection to the alleged social media postings by Dolgos. The district would not confirm a suspension of a teacher, but also did not deny a suspension had occurred. Aubrey Kamler, Senior Public Information Specialist with Capital Region BOCES, released a statement on behalf of the Geneseo Central School District that said, The Geneseo Central School District treats all personnel matters as confidential and therefore cannot comment on any such matter that may be pending. The district is and remains dedicated to maintaining a safe, inclusive, and welcoming environment for all members of our school community, regardless of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Geneseo Central contracts with Capital Region BOCES for public relations services. Superintendent Cindy Flowers said Monday that all personnel matters are confidential and could not comment regarding Dolgos. Wyoming County Schools Pitch Budgets, Corey Chiandra, Attica. School districts throughout Wyoming County will vote on budgets and Board of Education members today. The districts say they're trying to hold the line on taxes as they head into the 2023-24 school year. The proposed budget at Attica Central School is $32,304,940. That represents a budget-to-budget increase of 0.66%. In response to decreasing enrollment and decreasing federal funding to support certain kinds of teaching positions, a number of existing positions are being eliminated for 2023-24 school year, district officials said. The reductions include teachers and staff in areas of math and reading for grades 7 to 12, along with part-time physical education position, part-time business position, full-time administration position, and a full-time COTA position. These position reductions will create changes in assignment for some of our existing staff members, district officials said. However, there will be no negative impact to any academic program. The district recognizes there will be a need to not only maintain the instructional and extracurricular programs, but also to expand key elements to help students achieve the success and growth they both need and deserve, the official said. The proposed budget would allow Attica to continue with the important 
important programs, ensuring student needs, academic, social, and emotional, are met. The proposed budget also allows the district to maintain outstanding facilities that are clean, safe, and meet programming needs. There are four candidates running for the three open seats, Pamela Rudolph, Brian Fugel, Michael Janes, and Rosalind Repka. For more information about the Attica School Board vote, visit https colon slash slash www.atticacsd.org. Other districts include Letchworth. The proposed budget for the 2023-24 school year for the Letchworth Central School District is $24,650,566. This is a 9.636% increase from year to year. There is a contingency budget for the 2023-24 school year of $23,562,912. Voting for the Letchworth Central School Board vote will be held from noon to 9 p.m. in the auditorium. Perry at Perry Central School. Voting will be conducted noon to 9 p.m. at Watkins Avenue. Pioneer. Pioneer Central School District budget vote will take place 6.30 a.m. to 9 p.m. in the high school. The proposed 2023-24 general fund budget totals just under $66 million with a spending increase of 5.29% and a tax levy increase of 1.5%. Superintendent Nicholas Silveroli gave a budget overview at the May 2nd regular meeting of the Pioneer Board of Education. According to Silveroli, the budget maintains the current programming and services that are valued and needed in this district. The budget calls for the addition of a full-time school resource officer to go along with the three current full-time and one part-time officer. This means every building will have an armed law enforcement official at each building, Mr. Severally said in a press release posted by the district. We will still maintain the part-time officer, which will be good, because if an officer is out sick, we can have a little bit of coverage and overlap there within our buildings. The budget includes the addition of a full-time orchestra leader. Additionally, the district plans to pull away from certain services that have traditionally been provided through BOCES, including counseling. They plan to hire a pioneer counselor, which will be more cost-effective. There are five residents vying for two seats, both of which serve a five-year term on the Pioneer School Board. They include Sean Hannon, Brandon Pike, Catherine Uteg, Maria Redford, and Eric Slocum. Warsaw. Voting for Warsaw Central School District will be held from noon to 8 p.m. in the elementary school lobby. Wyoming. The proposed budget is $6,199,959, which would include a 2.5% tax levy increase to $2,181,220. The budget would represent a $17,715 spending increase compared to 2022-23. Voters will also decide several separate propositions, including establishment of a building capital reserve fund not to exceed $750,000, using no more than $160,000 from the 2020 vehicle reserve fund to purchase a 65-passenger school bus and raising $43,495 to fund a portion of the Wyoming Free Library Association's operating expenses. The proposed budget of $6,199,959 reflects our commitment to maintaining a balance between the investment in critical educational programs and resources while keeping our responsibility to taxpayers, said Superintendent Emily Herman in the district's budget newsletter. The district remains committed to ensuring that our students are not left out of essential programs and resources. In other matters, incumbents Caitlin Bush and Barry True are running unopposed for two five-year Board of Education seats. Voters will likewise help determine a new school mascot to replace the district's Indian's identity. The new choices include Eagles, Hawks, Maple Leafs, Wolverines, and Wolves. Voting will be conducted 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. in the school lobby. Orleans County budgets hold the line. Scott DeSmit. 
Voters in Orleans County schools will head to the polls Tuesday to see budgets with little or no increase in taxes. Albion, the proposed $41,814,847 budget has a tax levy that is the same as the current budget. The budget, however, increased 9% over the current year. An increase in state aid helped keep the levy the same. Albion has three propositions on the ballot, to spend up to $550,000 for school bus purchases and for a reserve fund to buy buses, and authorization to collect $654,510 in taxes for Hogue Library. Portia Taylor is running unopposed for a five-year term on the Board of Education. Holly, voters are being asked to approve $28,920,000 budget that increases taxes by 1.49% and overall spending by nearly 8%. The ballot also includes a proposition that would authorize spending $338,000 to buy three buses. It also includes a proposition to collect $200,815 for Community Free Library. Dan Cater, incumbent Robin Silvis, and Trinia Lorenz are running for two open board seats. Kendall, a $20,413,805 budget increases, spending by nearly 3%, but keeps the tax levy the same as the 2022-23 budget. One proposition on the ballot would authorize spending up to $350,000 to buy two buses. Rachel Fiskin is not opposed for re-election to the Board of Education. Lindenville. Taxes will increase by 1% in a proposed $16,939,491 budget, which also increases spending by 8%. Two propositions are in the ballot. One authorizes spending up to $275,000 for a full-size bus and a minibus. The other is to collect $124,808 for Yates Community Library. Jared Thurber is the lone candidate for a three-year term on the board. Medina. The proposed $40,095,815 budget calls for no increase in the tax levy and is just a half percent increase in spending. Luann Tierney, Stephen Blount, Corinne Ryan, and Annette Alice are running for three board seats. Fire destroys Darien Barn. Brian Quinn. A fire destroyed one barn and damaged part of a second barn Tuesday morning at 2044 Sumner Road, but no injuries were reported. County Office of Emergency Management Deputy Coordinator Gary Patnode said no firefighters or residents were hurt. The barn burned to the ground. It was 30 by 60 feet, he said. It had spread to a second barn. The deputy coordinator said responders had called for an excavator, which was brought in to move the debris out of the way so firefighters could put out hot spots. Patnode said the County Emergency Management Office is investigating, but doesn't consider the fire suspicious. It was looking over the scene and interviewing witnesses as of Tuesday afternoon. No livestock or equipment was in the barn that was destroyed, Patnote said. About a third of the second barn on the west side was burned, but the rest is still standing. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. County may add jail safety measure. Brian Quinn, Batavia. The county may add up to $84,000 to the cost of the $70 million jail being built on West Main Street Road by installing doors to provide access to a confined space as a safety measure. This is to cut in five doors into the exterior of our jail building, Assistant County Engineer Laura Wadhams said Monday during a public safety committee meeting. This has been discussed at our owners' meetings extensively. It's also been discussed with the Commission of Corrections along with Fire and EMS, she said. Essentially, what we have 
have on the shower chase of the building is a confined space issue. It's a three-story confined space issue. The shower chase is the narrow area behind the showers that houses all of the piping, valves, and controls for the showers, Wadham said. She said a contractor who needs to get to the bottom of the confined space to adjust a shower would need to come down three stories using safety equipment. Stepping back and looking at that as a future use of this building for Paul's guys for future facility use, we decided that the best case scenario for safety of everybody was to cut chase doors into the back of this confined space, she said, referring to Deputy Highway Superintendent of Facilities, Parks and Recreation and Forestry, Paul Osborne. Either way, Wadham said, the county probably would need to spend about $60,000 in fall protection in order to get all the rigging equipment needed to send people into the confined space when needed. This change order would increase LaChase Construction Services, LLC, contract by no more than $84,000. This will be covered by the construction contingency set up for the project and will not increase the overall budgeted capital project costs, Wadham said. If the legislature approves the change during the May 24th meeting, we will instruct LaChase to proceed with the work. Cutting in this chase door is a safer option, also just slightly more expensive in the grand scheme of things, she said. It's a life-saving issue, and we want to make sure this is the most safe and conducive to the facility in the future that we can. Wadham said adding these doors will not compromise the security or the construction of the jail. Osborne said the biggest part of this issue is the safety concern. This would be a permanent confined space without the doors. You have to wear personal protective equipment. Once they get in there, if they were to have a heart attack, to get them out is very difficult, he said. In an emergency response, a contractor or someone else who needed to be rescued from this confined space would have to be brought up to the roof and removed from the roof. With these doors, it allows us to rescue them from the ground floor and pull them out directly, Osborne said. It's more conducive in the long term for maintenance and the staff that would be in there at least once a month. Committee member Christian Yunker said the committee has talked about this the last couple of meetings and that the issues are safety and ease of building maintenance. I think this is a not-to-exceed number, so we don't know the number, he said. Hopefully it's less. The reason it's coming now is there's a time issue. Doors take time to order. They're special secure doors. The doors are steel insulated doors. The cost of the five doors themselves may be $30,000. We get one shot at building this jail. We've got to do it right, said committee chairman Gary Maha. Committee member Marianne Clattenburg asked why the building wasn't initially designed with these doors. Wadham said that after stepping back and looking at the building, the doors are the better option. She said shower chases that are in the middle of the pod and day room areas only have access from the back. Project manager Carl York of the Pike Company gave a general update on the progress of the jail project. In April, he said, a worker fell and broke his wrist. This month, another worker fell four feet off a ladder but was able to continue working. LaChase now has a full-time safety person on site every day to look over what crews are doing and help them work safer, York said. The schedule is still to have substantial completion by January 14th and final completion by March 15th. Some of the milestones completed this month were pouring all the cell slab on grades, the drying of all the cell pods, York said. He said the next big milestones include making all the jail weather tight. The 911 center is still under design. The design is expected out in June, York said of the future home of the county's backup 911 center. Then we'll implement that and get that out to the contractors for pricing. The architect from Pike Company walked 
through the project site April 24th and May 8th to review the progress and discuss any quality issues. There was nothing significant found, York said. Construction progress, interior masonry walls are about 93 to 95% on the inside of the building. Spray fireproofing is ongoing in the pods. Pod A is complete and they're moving over to pod C, he said. It's taking about six days per pod. We thought it would take about five. The last area that would be spray fireproofed would be the sally port. That will be done after all four pods are done. Workers are doing the grouting of the cells as well as doing caulking and other final touch-up items on the cells for their part of the project. National Fuel's been on site. They've installed the gas line, the main all the way up between the maintenance building and the administration building, York said. I'm going to say they're about 75 to 80 percent completed. They just need to extend it over to the administration building and the maintenance building. The maintenance building, the foundations, and the wall to above grade have been poured. The slab on grade should be poured this week then we'll be starting on the masonry walls. Once those walls get up, we can get National Fuel to come back, install the gas line between the two buildings. For site lighting, all the light pole bases and conduit have been installed. Painting is continuing throughout the building, York said. We're about 20% complete with the prime and first coat, he said. Equipment is being installed in the mechanical rooms. We're about 30% complete with that overall. A crane will be on site this week as heating, ventilation, and air conditioning are set in a second-floor mechanical room. Rooftop HVAC units will also be set in the administration building. A permanent transformer has been installed. If you've seen the outside of your building, it went from a gray to a nice green shade and now to a yellow as all the spray foam dries and slowly transfers, he said. The work that's continuing is the inside. The project just passed its one-year mark, York told the Public Safety Committee. Project firms had a letter of intent and notice to proceed. It's been just over a year and we told the contractors they're doing a fabulous job, York said. We've lost still only about 16 days due to weather. Project costs are $57,536,902. Changes to date are $537,503, he said. In April, we processed a little over $130,000 in changes, including the changes to date that would bring your current contract value to $58,143,507, which is all within the project budget, York said. We're still retracing any minor quality issue that comes up. About half of the quality issues have been closed to date. Nothing's been significant that's been stopping work or has cost anything major to the contractors. There's been no issues brought up by the New York State Commission of Corrections. The workforce on site right now is about 90 to 100 people, York said. He said that should start slowing down again in June. All area school budgets pass. Daily News staff, Batavia. Residents unofficially approved the proposed Batavia City School District budget of $58,970,774 by a 263-65 vote Tuesday night. Proposition 2, continuing the student ex officio position on the Board of Education, passed 293-37. to Proposition 3, to establish a Capital Improvements Reserve Fund, passed 260 to 66. Board of Education incumbents Alice Ann Benedict and Barbara Bowman were re-elected unopposed, with 290 and 277 votes respectively. Throughout Genesee County, Alexander... The voters passed a proposed budget of $20,847,855, Proposition 2, the purchase of two 64-passenger school buses and one small bus for a maximum of $376,125, passed 174 to 57. 
Proposition 3, spending $140,619 from equipment capital reserve funds to buy two printers, a mower, and a plow dump truck, passed 184 to 46. Proposition 4, to establish a capital reserve fund, passed 178 to 51. Proposition 5, establishing a school bus reserve fund, was approved 173 to 56. Sarah Fernas received 97 votes to win a five-year term on the Board of Education with one seat up for election. Jadrianne Baldoff got 68 votes and Natalie Laurenti 61. Writing candidates David Newton and Don Smith each got one vote. Byron Burgeon. The total budget of $25,974,402 met with voter approval 380 to 106. Proposition 2, a bus purchase, passed 386 to 105. Proposition 3, to establish a capital reserve fund, was approved 372 to 116. Proposition 4, a technology and equipment reserve, 368 to 121. Two board seats with three terms were up for election, as was a one-and-a-half-year board seat. Winning election to the board were Lisa Forsyth, 331 votes, Cindy Matthews, 300 votes, Lynn Smith, 283 votes, Amy Phillips got 270 votes, Jeff Starowitz got two write-in votes, and several people each got one. Leroy. The total proposed budget of $30,224,508 passed, 338 votes to 114. Voters approved Proposition 2, the library budget, 413 to 90. Jacelyn Whiting was re-elected to the Board of Education with 690 votes, and Denise Duth was elected with 391. Both will serve three-year terms. One seat on the Woodward Memorial Library Board was open. Linda Lowe won with 254 votes, and Laura Williams got 170. Elba. Voters approved a proposed budget of $11,708,369 by a vote of 110 to 11. Proposition 2, requesting additional state aid for energy savings contract improvements, passed 114 to 6. Proposition 3, to purchase a 65-passenger bus at a maximum of $168,883, was approved 111 to 9. Board of Education incumbent Dean Morton won re-election for a five-year term with 111 votes. Oakfield, Alabama. Voters passed the proposed budget of $24,094,600 by a vote of 432 to 95. Proposition 2, to raise $156,280 to support and maintain the Haxton Library, was approved 442 to 89. Three Board of Education seats were up for election for three-year terms. Incumbents received 450 votes and 353 votes, respectively. Five people were elected to the Haxton Memorial Library Board of Trustees for five-year terms. Four incumbents won re-election. Carol D'Alba was re-elected with 424, Lynette Crawford with 421, Denise DiMatteo with 409, and Jessica Baker with 407. Justin Stable did not run for re-election to his seat. A write-in candidate, Janet Klotzbach, received 47 votes. Pavilion. The 2023-24 proposed budget of $18,869,393 passed 192 to 26. Incumbent Chris Jeffers was re-elected to the Board of Education for a five-year term with 115 votes. Roxanne Holthouse got 61 and Laura Flint 34. Two trustee seats were up for election at the Hullwoodell Memorial Public Library. Incumbent Joan Gray won a three-year term with 166 votes and Kelly Harris was elected to a three-year term with 162. Pembroke. The budget of $26,732,685 passed 
277 to 98. Proposition 2 for the purchase of school buses at a maximum cost of $438,776.38 passed 277 to 98. Incumbent John Sima was re-elected to a five-year term with 316 votes. No one ran for the other seat, a two-year term. There were 67 total write-in votes, including 15 Randy Fancher, 11 each for Salvador Ioni and Michael Gack, and one vote for Elmer Fudd. If Fancher declines, the board will advertise and conduct interviews to appoint someone to the seat for the 2023-24 school year, Superintendent Matthew Calderon said. Proposition 3, raising $96,900 for the Corfu Public Library through a tax levy, passed 266 to 106. Three members were elected to the Corfu Public Library Board for three-year terms, Michael Plitt, Katie Schaff, and Stephanie Caleb. Anne Black won a two-year unexpired term on the board. Orleans County, Albion. A $41,814,847 budget with no tax increase was approved 244 to 66. A bus purchase proposition was approved 259 to 48, as was a proposition to establish a bus purchase reserve fund 255 to 51. Voters also approved collecting $654,510 for Hogue Library. Portia Taylor was not opposed for a position on the Board of Education. Lindenville. The $16,939,491 budget was approved 118 to 17. The purchase of two buses was approved 117 to 18. Funding for Yates Community Library was approved 104 to 33, and Jared Thurber was elected to the board with 124 votes. Medina. A $40,095,815 budget passed 346 to 55. Luann Tierney received 319 votes, Stephen Blount 292, and Annette Alice 291. They earned board seats. Corinne Ryan received 128 votes. Holly. Voters approved a $28,920,000 budget, 333 to 148. A proposition to spend $338,000 to buy three buses passed 334 to 149. A proposition to collect $200,815 for the Community Free Library passed 354 to 130. Trinia Lawrence won one of two open board seats with 324 votes. Incumbent Robin Silvis was re-elected with 281. Dan Carter got 233 votes. Kendall, a $20,413,805 budget passed, 131 to 29. Proposition 2, the purchase of two buses for $350,000 passed, 137 to 25. Rachel Fiskin ran unopposed for the Board of Education and received 144 votes. William and Jacques Gregory each got one write-in vote. Wyoming County, Attica. Voters approved the proposed budget of $32,304,940 by a vote of 259 to 148. Proposition 2, the purchase of a 30-passenger school bus for a maximum of $115,000 passed 305 to 100. Proposition 3, approval of a multi-year transportation contract passed 345 to 62. Three people were elected to three-year terms on the Board of Education. Pamela Rudolph received 319 votes, Brian Fugel, 306, and Michael Janes, 290. Proposition 2, the $204,939.10 budget for the Stevens Memorial Community Library passed. Letchworth. The $24,650,566 proposed budget passed 203 to 76. 
Proposition 2 to establish a capital reserve fund also passed 209 to 67. Proposition 3 for library funding also got voter approval 190 to 88. Robert Gines, 211 votes. Vanessa Karasiewicz, 201, and Shane Scott, 167 votes, were each elected to three-year terms on the Board of Education. Perry. The proposed $20,245,808 budget passed 168 to 16. Julius Westfall received 172 votes to win Susan Beck's seat on the board for a three-year term. Ian McDougall received 171 votes to win the other open seat for a three-year term. Proposition 3, spending a maximum of $230,000 for a capital reserve fund to buy instructional maintenance and interscholastic athletic equipment, passed 173 to 13. Pioneer. The $62,408,491 budget was approved 518 to 218. Proposition number two for the library tax levy was approved 557 to 179. Sean Hannon and Brandon Pike were elected to two Board of Education positions with 474 and 316 votes, respectively. Warsaw. The proposed budget of $24,041,000 passed 182 to 42. Proposition 2 for the Capital Improvements Project passed 172 to 46. Proposition 3 for the Purchase of Real Property was approved 172 to 54. Proposition 4, Financial Support to the Warsaw Public Library, passed 200 to 26. Gail Royce and Michael Youngers were elected to five-year terms on the Board of Education with 193 and 183 votes, respectively. Wyoming, the proposed budget of $6,199,959 passed 84 to 26. Incumbents Caitlin Bush and Barry True each won re-election to a five-year term. True received 97 votes and Bush got 93. Proposition 3, establishing a capital reserve fund, passed 91 to 19. Proposition 4, establishing a building capital reserve fund, passed by the same vote total. Proposition 5, raising the Wyoming Free Circulating Library Association tax levy by $2,000 up to $43,495, passed 82 to 28. Obituaries. Tuesday, May 16th. Lois A. Root, 97, of Leroy. Robert Luke Schell. Wednesday, May 17th. Mrs. Patricia Pat Burke, 81, of Rochester. Richard A. Mangs, 91, of Johnsonburg. Jerry W. Waite, 73, of Silver Springs. Leslie K. Kosiorek, 73, of Batavia. Thursday, May 18th. Diane Zybeck Krenning, 76, of Albion. Jose A. Arroyo Sr., 71, of Batavia. Now some upcoming events. Firefighters set chicken barbecue. Byron. The annual Memorial Day chicken barbecue and basket raffle will be conducted May 29th at the Byron Fire Hall. The event will follow the 11 a.m. parade at the Fire Hall on Route 262. Meals are eat-in or take-out with no pre-sale tickets. Meals cost $15 and will include a half chicken, macaroni salad, coleslaw, and a roll. The barbecue proceeds will go toward the purchase of a new ambulance for the Byron Fire Department Rescue Squad. The basket raffle proceeds will support the ladies' auxiliary. Winners will be drawn at 1 p.m. Bid to introduce Cider Walk. Brian Quinn. The details are mostly in place as the Downtown Business Improvement District, BID, 
gets ready for its first cider walk in the city. For the June 17th event, 18 businesses will be included, Sharon Mott said. The walk will be from 4 to 8 p.m. We thought about it last year when we were trying to add events, said BID Executive Director Shannon Mott. We didn't want to add a third one last year, so we waited until this year. The cider walk will kick off BID events this year, she said. The wine walk and the beer walk are extremely popular. When we asked the people participating what they thought about it, they said they loved it. But a lot of them said they wished we had cider, Mott said. The two stops that do have cider were their favorite spots. Bid thought, why not have a cider walk, she said. We've been planning it for about six months. The businesses knew about it, she said. We're just starting to advertise to the public. We're still trying to get a couple more cideries. More cideries that come in, the better. But the planning was pretty smooth for us. We had great participation with a lot of local cideries. Mott estimated 100 tickets remain for the June 17th walk. We haven't really been advertising, so that's pretty good, she said. Anytime we can get people downtown is a great event. Cideries, including Tree Hugger, Clarksburg, Blue Toad, will be coming to downtown sites and pouring their offerings. There will be a map at the registration site at Legacy on Main. Iburi Photography at 35 Jackson Street will be a pouring site, as will T.F. Brown's, Eli Fish, Roman's, Bourbon and Burger, and Coffee Press. Of course, we have Empire Hemp, the Spa Artemis, places like that, she said. There'll be a full list at registration. Tickets are $30 each. Tickets for designated drivers are $10 each. In June, it will be nice weather. People love to get out, she said. Businesses are ready for more feet downtown. The 100 tickets should be gone pretty quickly after bid really starts to advertise, she said. I would say within the next two weeks we'll be completely sold out, she said. We only did 300 tickets. We kept it small. We wanted to see how it went this year, and next year we'll grow it. The bid executive director said the participating businesses will have special deals. I know the restaurants will have special promotion on food and drinks, she said. The ticket holders get a glass. They get 18 tastings. The topic of a cider walk came up April 27th at the BID annual meeting and awards. The award recipient included BID Volunteer of the Year Lauren Becht and Business of the Year Eden Cafe and Bake Shop and owner Judy Heisek. Eden Cafe's first location was in the incubator inside Eli Fish. The great thing about Eden was nobody else in Batavia was doing that. She has proven there is a need for it. She is really thriving and we're very proud of her opening her own brick and mortar, Mott said. Mott said Becht is on all the bid committees and helps with everything. She is just a great asset and a great person all around and is always willing to help or do whatever we need her to do for downtown. In a show of good humor, My Cut Barbershop was given the Best Dressed Award. For every event, they always dress up and look really cool and have a lot of fun with it, she said. They showed up at the annual meeting in suits and they looked really cool. I gave them the award for Best Dressed. Fundraiser will support Ukrainian family, Batavia. A Cookies and Pierogi for Ukraine fundraiser will be conducted Friday at St. James Episcopal Church. The event will take place 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. or gone at the church at 405 East Main Street. Proceeds will benefit a Ukrainian family relocated to western New York and humanitarian aid for Ukraine. Loomis Post will meet tonight in Batavia. The Glen S. Loomis American Legion Post 332 will conduct its regular monthly meeting tonight, Thursday. The meeting will take place 7 p.m. at the Post Home on Alexander Road. It will concentrate on election of officers for 2023-24, the placing of flags on area cemeteries before Memorial Day, and the finalized Memorial Day schedule. All paid-up members are encouraged to attend. An auxiliary meeting will take place simultaneously. Concert Celebrate String Band, Ben Beagle. 
Jim Kimball and the Geneseo String Band have been the most public faces of SUNY Geneseo's music department at the Brody Fine Arts Building since 1976 when Kimball joined the faculty and started the String Band program. The band members' talents will be celebrated June 3rd at the Geneseo Riviera, 4 Center Street, Geneseo, with a concert as part of the college's annual alumni weekend. Doors open at 9.30 p.m. with the concert scheduled to start at 8. The concert will offer a quick review of each decade of music since the 1970s by grouping music from the 70s, 80s, and 90s and whatever decades are represented by the returning players. Following intermission, a jam session with most of the returning band members is planned. About 30 former band members had committed to the concert as of late April, and some are traveling cross-country because of their affection for Kimball and the string band experience, said Mike Smith, one of the organizers of the concert. Kimball, a noted ethnomusicologist, described the the string band as having progressed through a variety of styles and sounds, changing a little bit with each new member and each new instrument. The band's members come from the ever-changing community of students, staff, and friends of SUNY Geneseo, and the amassed talent is enough to fill several smaller string bands, said Kimball, who teaches music history, world music, and classes on American folk music at SUNY Geneseo. Kimball is director of the Geneseo String Band, which brings the college and community closer together by playing music for square dances, contra dances, and concerts. Concerts, he said. Besides fiddle, Kimball plays button accordion, keyboard, banjo, musical saw, jaw harp, and bones. He frequently calls square dances and lectures and presents papers on musical subjects. Kimball is a favorite performer at the Farmers Museum in Cooperstown and Genesee Country Village and Museum in Mumford, where he specializes in 19th century popular and folk music traditions. The concert is produced by Healthy Scratch Partners that includes Tom Bushnell, who has been a string band member for more than 40 years. Tickets will be available available online and at the door. For more information, go to https colon slash slash geneseoriviera.com or call 585-481-0036. Crime. Batavia man charged in child sex assaults. Scott DeSmit. A Batavia man was arrested Friday and charged with repeatedly sexually assaulting a child, Genesee County Sheriff's investigators said. Alvin E. Way, 62, of West Main Street, was charged with six counts of predatory sexual assault against a child under 13, six counts of first-degree criminal sexual act against a child, and one count of course of sexual conduct against a child. Investigators said Way was charged after an investigation revealed he committed an ongoing series of sex offenses over the span of multiple years against to juvenile. Way was arraigned and committed to Genesee County Jail. The predatory sexual assault charges are the most serious sex-related charges under New York State penal law, with a maximum penalty of 25 years to life in prison. Man smashed ATM screen with rock. Scott DeSmit, Batavia. A Tracy Avenue man, charged and released after committing three burglaries in three days, faces new charges, city police said. Josiah G. Culver, 18, was charged May 5th with felony criminal mischief for allegedly smashing an ATM screen with a rock. The ATM is on Bank Street. Culver was arraigned and committed to Genesee County Jail without bail. Culver had briefly been in jail in April after a total of 13 charges were filed against him for repeated crimes. He was first charged April 13th with burglarizing a business at City Center. Culver was arraigned and released under supervision of Genesee Justice. The next day, he allegedly broke into a restaurant on Ellicott Street and stole money. He was charged again and released. The next day, he again entered a business at City Center and stole money. Culver was committed to jail after that arrest, but was released days later. Blotter, Java. 
An investigation into a hit-and-run crash where a pickup truck drove into a house on Route 78 had led to charges against a Java man, Wyoming County Sheriff's deputies said. Deputies were sent to 4003 Route 78 late the night of April 29th and found that a pickup had driven into the house, causing an extensive amount of damage. Deputies found a license plate at the scene and were able to track down the owner. Kevin K. Ressler, 34, had been driving his 2019 Dodge Ram on Route 78 and was attempting to make a turn onto Minkin Road. Road when he crashed and ran away. He was charged with reckless driving, speed not reasonable, leaving the scene of a crash, moving from a lane unsafely, and unsafe backing. Perry. A Perry man was jailed after an investigation into a domestic violence complaint, Wyoming County Sheriff's deputy said. Adam P. Valentine, 43, was charged with felony criminal contempt of court, felony aggravated family offense, harassment, and criminal mischief. He was committed to Wyoming County Jail. Castile. Sacquaisha S. Newton, 30 of Rochester, was charged with misdemeanor drug possession, Wyoming County Sheriff's deputy said she allegedly possessed ecstasy. Albion, Megan L. Callahan, 37 of Holly, was charged with welfare fraud, state police said. She is to appear at a later date in town court. Clarendon, Lee C. Zimmerman, 52 of Bergen, was charged with DWI, state police said. He is to appear at a later date in town court. Albion, Mason E. Broskin, 22 of Hamlin, was charged with welfare fraud, state police said. He is to appear at a later date in town court. Albion man guilty of child porn, Buffalo. An Albion man is facing up to 20 years in prison after pleading guilty to possessing child pornography. Anthony J. Alello, Jr., 32, appeared Friday in federal court. Besides prison, he faces a fine of up to $250,000. An undercover FBI agent began communicating with Alello online in January 2022 using the Kick application. Alello sent the agent links to cloud storage folders containing child pornography. One folder contained approximately 2,484 videos of child pornography and another folder contained approximately 45 videos of child pornography. The FBI executed a search warrant at Alello's residence two months later and seized his cell phone. A subsequent forensic examination recovered approximately 1,744 images and six videos of child pornography, some of which depicted prepubescent children and violence against children. Sentencing is scheduled for September 22nd. Two sentenced in Wyoming County Court, Warsaw. A Wayland man was sentenced Wednesday in Wyoming County Court to a state prison term for domestic violence. Zachary J. Foltz, 40, was sentenced by Judge Michael Mahoon to 18 months to three years for attempted second-degree strangulation. Foltz was indicted in March and charged with strangulation and unlawful imprisonment for choking a woman to unconsciousness at a residence in the village February 1st. Also in county court Monday, an Oakfield man was sentenced to a state prison term for damaging property at Wyoming County Community Hospital. Jeffrey M. Johnson, 35, was sentenced to 18 months to three years to be served at Willard Drug Treatment Facility. Johnson overdosed on drugs November 1st and was taken to the hospital, where he became irate, threatened hospital staff, and damaged property. Leroy Man Indicted on Weapons Charge Scott DeSmith, Batavia A Leroy man faces five felonies and two misdemeanors for allegedly possessing an illegal weapon and for buying body armor. A Genesee County grand jury filed an indictment against Vincent S. Kovac, 32. He is charged with five counts of third-degree criminal possession of a weapon and two counts of unlawful possession of body armor. The indictment accuses Kovac of possessing an AR-15 pistol equipped with the ability to accept illegal magazines. A grand jury filed indictments against four other people. 
Andrew W. Taylor, 35, of Batavia, is charged with first-degree falsifying business records and petty larceny. He is accused of filing a false bill of sale at Pawn King and for stealing an Oral-B Pro 500 and water pick flosser from Rite Aid. Timothy W. Zergot, 38, of Rochester, is charged with third-degree criminal possession of stolen property and criminal impersonation. He allegedly possessed a stolen 2018 Ford Focus in Batavia, October 25th. He was arrested after police were called to Target for a report of a larceny. The driver of the stolen car, Jason O. Wellman, 50, of Rochester, sped away and led police on a chase onto the throughway where the car broke down and three people were charged. Joseph G. Bauer, no age or address available, is charged with DWI and felony aggravated unlicensed operation. Brian N. Miles, 26, of Rochester, is charged with attempted forgery, criminal possession of a forged instrument, criminal possession of stolen property, and criminal possession of a controlled substance for having cocaine. He is accused of having a stolen checkbook and attempting to forge and cash checks at a bank. GPS locates stolen car in Lockport, Batavia. Police used a GPS tracking system to find a car that was stolen from the parking lot of a gas station last week, city police said. Michael E. Loveless, 59, of Webster, allegedly stole the car while the other was inside the store May 10th. Police used the GPS to track the car to Lockport, where Lockport police stopped the car and took Loveless into custody. He was later turned over to Batavia police. Loveless was charged with fourth-degree grand larceny and unauthorized use of a motor vehicle. He was arraigned and committed to Genesee County Jail pending an appearance in court next week. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Napoleon Foundation Gala draws 250. Brian Quinn, Batavia. The Michael Napoleon Memorial Foundation is working to find out how successful this year's Derby Day Gala was, but the foundation is also working on something new. We spoke about the fact we are starting an endowment fund with the goal of making $1 million over the next five years. We're looking to be a sustainable organization as we progress in the future, the foundation said this week. Table sponsorships were sold out at Terry Hills Golf Course and Banquet Facility, and about 250 people attended. The Memorial Foundation was established in 2007 in the memory of Michael C. Napoleon VIII, son of Mark and Lori Napoleon, who passed away the previous year from Burkitt's lymphoma leukemia, an aggressive form of blood cancer. It was a beautiful day with many colorful outfits and hats. Again, it was a huge success thanks to our sponsors, people who donated prizes and those who purchased tickets, the foundation said. We had many unique and wonderful prizes, a Damar Hamlin and Dawson Knox autographed jersey, an autographed baseball signed by New York Yankees rookie Anthony Volpe, two amazing trips to Florida, and many others. Among the prizes was a dinner for four with David Balavia, Medal of Honor recipient and Lindenville High School graduate. The speaker was Cortland Waterman, who came with Jamie Waterman and their son Jack. Jack is five years old, the Memorial Foundation said. They told his story and discussed how the foundation assisted them in their journey. Jack also colored a picture while he was there and auctioned it off. It was very touching and raised an additional $750. Amy Velez and Colleen Marchetta of Hope Totes Buffalo said they were there to support the gala and the Memorial Foundation. Hope Totes' mission is to offer comfort and love-filled support in a time of medical need by giving Hope Totes to patients and their caregivers. The totes contain a binder of supplies, comfortable blanket slippers, Hope Journal, notebook, individualized items to help with the patient and caregiver specific needs, and personalized letter from Velez and Marchetta, the founders. 
Velez attended last year and spoke at the gala. She thanked the Napoleon Foundation for twice giving money for her family. Velez's son Thomas was diagnosed in 2018 with an intracranial germinoma, described as a type of germ cell tumor predominantly seen in pediatric populations. Thomas is currently cancer-free. This year, she and Marchetta bought tickets for $100 each and came as guests. We wanted to give back to an organization that helped me. As an organization, we brought a tote for the speaker this year just because the family needed one, and that's the mission of Hope Totes, Velez said. It was a nice day to support the Napoleon Foundation, Velez recalled. This year, the two of us as friends wanted to go help support another organization that shares a similar mission. We participated in all the fun donating opportunities during the day, she said. When you've been through what the Napoleons went through and you sympathize with what my family has been through, you become close friends. Those unfortunate circumstances brought us together. Velez said that made going to this year's gala and giving to the fundraiser an easy decision. She said she and her family are still dealing dealing with after effects. I will forever be grateful to the foundation for helping us when we were at our lowest point, she said. With how much they helped me, this was just a small way to help. Marchetta said she heard about the foundation through Velez. The Napoleon family is an incredible, wonderful family. I am so inspired by them and their foundation, she said. It is helping to keep Michael's memory alive. To honor him and his memory by helping other pediatric cancer families is inspirational and something we wanted to support as well through our organization, Hope Totes. We were happy to give the guest speaker at this year's event a Hope Tote. We have a total of five that we plan to give families through Michael's Hope and are working with Lori on deliveries now. 50 Years in America, Leroy. When he was asked to come into the dining area at Capiche one night earlier this week, James Frascati had no idea what it was about. The owner of Capiche, 49 Main Street, was checking on pizza on Thursday evening and doing what he typically does when he's there. However, around close to 6 p.m., State Assemblyman Steve Hawley, Republican of Batavia, came in with the local media behind him. The surprise celebration for Frascati was for his 50th anniversary of the trip he and his family made to this country from Italy, arriving December 22, 1972, aboard the SS Michelangelo when he was 12 years old. You guys all came here because of this? Frascati asked some people he knew who were sitting at the bar. Frascati was surprised Thursday with a celebration with family and friends in attendance. The Capiche owner was presented with an American flag that had flown over the Capitol building in Washington to congratulate him on the 50th anniversary of his arrival. For Scotty, who has owned Capiche for about five years, is a retired member of the Rochester and Irondequoit Police Departments. We are in awe of your dedication to your community and country. Thank you for all that you do and congrats on your 50th anniversary, read a certificate presented to him by Julie Carasone, who was working at the restaurant that night. Assemblyman Steve Hawley was also there for the event. I had no idea this was even happening, he said to those gathered in the restaurant. Thank you. Hawley said Frascati worked so hard to become successful in the free enterprise system that this country has, something that is sorely missing today. You are the epitome of what America has been and should be tomorrow. You set the example of what we all should be emulating, the assemblyman said. Hawley read a proclamation recognizing Frascati for his commitment to enhancing his community. The proclamation delved into the restaurant owner's background, saying he came to the United States from Italy in 1972 at the age of 12 when his mother decided they would move. They reached New York City and 
after sailing for eight days aboard the SS Michelangelo. James saw the Statue of Liberty on December 22nd, three days before Christmas in 1972. He remembers it like it was yesterday, Holly read. By his second day in the United States, he knew at some point he wanted to become a police officer. Frascati joined the Rochester Police in 1989. Years earlier, in 1983, in Irondequoit, he married his wife, whom he met at a Kmart. James cherishes his friendships he has made over the years, especially the customers he dines with every single Monday night and his team at Capiche Restaurant, Holly read. He also appreciates his friends at Go to Italy and throughout Leroy. James is grateful for his past 50 years as a citizen because of his mother's decision. He truly loves this country and, of course, Italy, he read. When it was time to leave Italy, he didn't want to go. However, before she passed away, he told her it was the best decision of her life, Holly read. After receiving the flag and his citations, Frascati said he was proud to be an American citizen. I've always cherished this flag, he said before shaking Holly's hand. After the presentations, Frascati admitted he was wondering why so many people he knew were sitting around the bar. How did the move to America happen? We had moved from Sicily to the Venice area when I was 10 years old, he said, remembering that he wasn't happy because he was leaving his friends. He and his brother were upset again when they learned they were moving to the U.S. They didn't speak English. Later, they realized that their mom had made the sacrifice for them. Frascati, his mother, and twin brother Joe came over at the same time, and his sisters arrived later. My sisters were engaged, so they came a short time later, he recalled. He grew up in Shiloh, where he and his wife Teresa live. He was a police officer in Rochester for nine years, then joined the Irondequoit Police. From 98 to 15, I was an Irondequoit Police investigator. After retirement, he started Capiche. I always wanted a pizzeria, but when I saw this building, I just fell in love with it, he said. I thought it's too big to be a pizzeria, so I'm going to make a full restaurant of it with no experience. Frascati said he has always had a passion for Italy. I started the tours of Italy 29 years ago, so next year I'm actually honored to celebrate my 30th anniversary of doing tours of Italy. They're excellent tours, he said, explaining that he's taken people from Leroy on the tours. On the other hand, he pointed out, I love here. This is my home. This is where my kids are. I love visiting there, but after a while, it's time to come home. Teresa Frascati said Carasone told her about the surprise celebration. I said, okay, I can be there. Let me see who I can round up. Teresa Frascati said, I texted everybody to see who would come. I thought it was great that they all came, pretty much. The Frascati's son, daughter-in-law, and granddaughter were there, as were a lot of the good friends they made through having the restaurant and some of the people Jim worked with when he was in law enforcement. Teresa said there is another milestone coming up this year. She and Jim will celebrate their 40th wedding anniversary in September. As to Thursday's party, Teresa said, I think it's so thoughtful what Julie did. Just the sweetest thing. Smith steps up to Deputy Highway Post, Brian Quinn, Batavia. When the Genesee County Highway Department needed to find a new Deputy Highway Superintendent, it looked both within and outside the department. The department found what it needed in-house, as Craig Smith will officially move up at the end of the month to replace 30-year veteran Dave Wozniak, whose retirement was announced earlier this month. Craig is very level-headed and detail-oriented. He has the respect of the highway employees due to his past dealings with them on job sites. He always has done whatever is necessary to get the job done, even if the work required was outside his normal job duties, said Highway Superintendent Tim Hens. He's got quite a bit of project and supervision experience, both at Getter Done Construction, Inc., and then Upstate Door in Warsaw, Hens said. Smith, currently Senior Engineering Technician, has been with the Engineering Department all five years with the County Highway Department. 
Hen said Smith has primarily been permits administrator, bridge and culvert inspector, but also works with crews to lay out road and bridge jobs. He's been around the paver. He's been in ditches. He has even assisted plowing when needed, Hen said. Dave Wozniak worked his last official day in the office last week after 13 years as deputy highway superintendent, 30 years with the department in general. Wozniak technically retires May 30th. For the past two months, I've been searching desperately for Wozniak's replacement, Hens said. Interviewed eight very qualified candidates, four from within the department, four from outside the department, all with varying backgrounds, all great individuals. The highway department will have two deputies, Paul Osborne and Smith. Paul has typically taken on facility management and parks management, and Craig manages highway, which works closely with fleet management and airport plowing and mowing operations, Hens said. Deputy highway superintendents may act in my place while I am not available due to illness or travel, and they have pretty significant leeway to manage their individual divisions and responsibilities. Even though I am highway superintendent by title, I really function as DPW director due to the varied public works functions under our department. We've just never adjusted titles to match added duties over the years, he said. Smith said it was natural for him to interview for the deputy position once the opportunity arose. I thought about it and decided that it was something I could see myself doing and performing well at, he said. I figured my chances of being chosen were just as likely as any of the other candidates. I'm sure that each candidate had their own set of skills in relation to the position. Smith said the only advantage he had as a department employee was that he worked as a senior engineering technician and hens could see what Smith's knowledge base is and his personality and hopefully work ethic. I think my background in the engineering department at the county will serve as the best set of skills that apply to the position. Having already been exposed to the work we are responsible for at the highway department and, and being involved with projects in the past, Smith said. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the May 16th through 18th editions of the Batavia Daily News. Your reader has been Chris. Thank you for listening.